What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, one of the voices behind the CNBC podcast Squawk Pod. In these times of uncertainty, we want to make sure we're bringing you, our listeners, as much information as possible as quickly as we can. That's why we're sharing with you now a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Listen in. I'm Sarah Eisen on day 152 of the coronavirus crisis. Stocks and another strong month, even as the president talks tough on China. We will be today terminating our relationship with the World Health Organization. The world needs answers from China. The president cuts ties with the World Health Organization and takes a harder stance on China. That caps off the Dow's best week in the last seven. But stocks keep going up even as spending dries up. That is the largest drop on record. And savings go up. When will it hit the economy? This CNBC special report starts right now. Here's Sarah Eisen. Good evening and good to have you with us this Friday night. We begin with the latest out of D.C. Following a news conference with President Trump this afternoon where he ratcheted up the rhetoric on China and the World Health Organization. Let's go to Kayla Tausche in Washington. Kayla. Sarah, the White House took an opportunity to redouble its hard line on China by very clearly outlining some policy positions that have been telegraphed by previous administration officials in recent weeks. In a policy package unveiled today, the president said the U.S. would be revoking visas for students and researchers with Chinese military ties. The U.S. would be studying accounting practices for possible delisting of Chinese companies. They'd be eliminating special treatment of Hong Kong and severing ties from the World Health Organization. Chinese officials ignored their reporting obligations to the World Health Organization and pressured the World Health Organization to mislead the world when the virus was first discovered by Chinese authorities. Countless lives have been taken and profound economic hardship has been inflicted all around the globe. The president stopped short of disrupting the phase one trade deal or sanctioning top party officials. Even so, the event was immediately panned by China, whose Global Times newspaper called it a recklessly arbitrary move that builds on Trump's bullying tactics and says the U.S. will pay a hefty price for specifically any change in Hong Kong. As for the move on the World Health Organization, not everyone in the president's party was pleased with that. Lamar Alexander, the Tennessee Republican and the top Republican on the Senate's Health Committee, uh, put out a statement saying this, saying certainly there needs to be a good hard look at mistakes the World Health Organization might have made in connection with the coronavirus. But the time to do that is after the crisis has been dealt with, not in the middle of it. Now, these broadsides come during the ramp up in rhetoric in the election season that is just getting underway and is building up steam. Campaign officials say expect the heat to get turned up on this rhetoric going into November, 
even if many of these policy actions are held in the wings until after the election is over with, Sarah. But one thing is very clear. Many strategists see this election as a referendum on President Trump, and President Trump in it sees China as a popular opponent. Back to you. Do we have any sense, Kayla, of what the likely response will be from China beyond just that, that statement you read from the state media? Well, there's no official response from the Chinese government as of yet. There had been some uh, some broadsides from China in the hours leading up to the announcement. Uh, it is expected that they will be taking stock of exactly what is in the announcement, what is new, uh, and what could be retaliated against in kind. Usually China takes a proportionate response to whatever is done. And since many of these policy actions were already out there, it's unclear what exactly China will do in response. Kayla Tausche, Kayla, thank you. Stocks came off their lows of the session, session following the president's news conference. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq closing higher on the last trading day of the month. And despite a two-day losing streak, the Dow actually having its best weekly performance in seven weeks. And look at the numbers for the month. The Dow and the S&P rising more than 4%. The Nasdaq and the small cap Russell 2000 up better than 6%. All three indices ending May in the green. But despite the market rebound, jitters about the economy persist and the virus have paralyzed consumer spending as Americans opt to save more money than ever before. Steve Leisman joins us now to break down the new numbers. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Sarah. The historic economic shutdown creating some historic changes in consumer spending and income with Americans uh, deciding to spend way less than they ever have before and save a whole lot more as Americans really pocketed the uh, checks they got from Uncle Sam, either put them in the bank or maybe even under the mattress. Let's take a look at the numbers. And these numbers, you wouldn't see these in a year, let alone month to month. An 11% increase in income, personal income, a 13% decline in spending, leading to a 33% savings rate. That number is normally like 7 or 8%. Where'd the income come from? Take a look at what happened. Wages declined at an annual rate by $740 billion. But government benefits, mostly that $1,200 check, but also unemployment insurance, increasing by $2.9 trillion month to month. Now, what does this all pretend for the economy? Is it good or is it bad for the longer term, since we're looking back at April? A lot depends on how much we reopen. But Short term, the higher savings can help Americans through tougher times, some of which may be to come, depending upon how quickly people are rehired, and also maybe even fuel something of a spending boom when the economy reopens. Longer term, though, if Americans embrace this uncertainty, it can lead to lower overall consumer spending if we end up with a higher savings rate. A big question out there right now. The market seems pretty certain about the rebound, but there's a lot of concern among economists that spending may not come back, Sarah, to where it was before the crisis. Steve, what are you seeing from some of the more high-frequency indicators that give us a picture of how states have looked since reopening, whether it's consumer spending, confidence, or jobs? Is there anything encouraging? Well, there is encouragement. We have seen some of the numbers tick up. Uh, but again, they're coming off of zero. So to say that, you know, the open table numbers are up is not necessarily saying anything as they remain uh, some fraction of what they were beforehand. 
uh, I'm thinking of these uh, sort of numbers uh, that you might call slightly less than awful. We're getting a lot of data next week, some of the manufacturing data, some of the services data. It's going to be historically bad, but we may have hit a trough in April, and that may be the signs the market's been trading on in the month of May. Steve Leisman. Steve, thank you. So what happens if lingering fears of COVID-19 continue to curb consumer spending when we do reopen for business? Let's bring in Megan Green, senior fellow at Harvard Kennedy School. Megan, it's great to have you with us tonight. How do you look at that 33 percent savings rate? Is that good in that Americans, once we reopen, will be able to spend more? Or is it bad in that it signals that their behavior is very risk averse? Look, so it's one month worth of data, and we can't really extrapolate entirely into the future on that. I would say the good side is that it shows that we managed to get money where it was needed in some degrees, though the fiscal transfers have been effective, you could argue. Um, the bad side is nobody's been spending anything. And if you actually look at some of my colleague at Harvard's Raj Chetty's data, he's um, basically taking big data from the private sector in some cases and cleaning it and making it publicly available. And if you look at spending for states that have reopened, it actually looks identical to states that haven't yet reopened. So Georgia, which was one of the first states to reopen, spending looks very similar to New York's spending, and New York hasn't actually reopened. And that suggests that people don't really feel confident yet um, to go out and behave any anything like normal. Um, how long will that last? That's the big question. Will there be sort of scarring for consumers, much like there was after the global financial crisis? I think it's very likely there will be. And last time around, after the global financial crisis, we saw all kinds of changes in consumption patterns, particularly around housing. You know, household formation took forever to come back. I think we'll find that there was scarring this time around, too. And businesses who have taken out these PPP loans, for example, um, who have made it through this deep freeze period, are trying to open back up, uh, making assumptions about demand. And that's just really tricky. So what we might see is that businesses that made it through the deep freeze are going to open back up, find there is no demand, and we might see another round of defaults. Well, let's talk about that very issue, Megan. If you could stay with us, we've got a local business owner who is dealing with questions about demand uh, and this very question of whether when she reopens, people will be coming in. Let's bring in Ashley Kleinschmidt, the owner of Moi. Salon. They do makeup services and sell a lot of product as well. Moi Makeup and Lash Bar is located in New Jersey. Ashley, good evening. Thanks for joining us. I know you're closed right now because you're in the state of New Jersey. How are you thinking about what it's going to look like to reopen? Honestly, I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. I'm hopeful that, you know, customers will come to my store. We are a retail store, but we're makeup artists. We get people ready for the events that they go to. And if they're not going to an event, then will they get their makeup done? I'm not so sure. So I'm hopeful, but, you know, I think only time will tell what it looks like when we, when we open back up, you know, I really won't know until then. Megan, what, what would you say to someone like <laughs> Ashley when, when it comes to anticipating consumer demand based on what you've studied in previous recessions and, and based on what your expectations are this time? Well, so this uh, 
this downturn is, is a bit different in that it was entirely intentional, right? I mean, it's based on a global virus that no one knows much about. So I think the uncertainty is far greater this time around than it has been in the past. In the past, if we had sort of a short-term downturn, you could really count on pent-up demand coming back um, and, and um, fueling activity. This time around, I don't think we can probably rely on that. And so I think it's you know, you're right to question whether people are going to go to events. I speak at a lot of events. I'm also wondering if that's ever going to happen again or how long it will take for that to happen. Um, but also, I think in terms of your story, you have to figure out, you know, how are you going to manage people in your um, establishment in a socially distanced way, which we'll have to do for a while until we have a vaccine or a treatment. And a lot of businesses are trying to work that out and are crunching the numbers. And, you know, particularly in restaurants, for example, are figuring out, you know, it, it doesn't act, we don't have a business model if we can only serve so many people. So I think a lot of services industries are facing that question too. How do we do what we used to do in a socially distanced way and still make a profit? And a lot of companies are discovering that they can't, even if the demand does come back. And that's already questionable. Mm-hmm. Ashley, how, how do you do that? Can you apply, can you apply makeup Ashley, services in a socially distant way? Apply, can you apply makeup services? I think so. I think, you know, limiting the amount of clients in the store at a time is a really great start. Um, wearing gloves, wearing a mask, wearing the face shield. Um, we already had a lot of protocols in place to sanitize everything and to keep everything very clean. So that's not going to come um, new to us. We've always done that. Um, I think, you know, just the other precautions of take, keeping us socially, you know, six feet, um, maybe limiting the amount of people in the store at the same time and letting our customers know that we taking this seriously. We want to make sure they feel safe in our store. Ashley Kleinschmidt, thank you for joining us. Good luck with the reopen. Megan Green, good to hear from you as well. We appreciate it. We are just getting started on this CNBC special. Crisis management. How one Alabama mayor is managing a health emergency now that his city has become a hotspot and his thoughts on reopening too soon. Plus, a new design. The pivot one tattoo artist made to help pay the bills. The best chance to change something is when you have no choice. And meet three business owners moving ahead and trying to get through the crisis. Before the break, the United States on the 152nd day of the coronavirus crisis. I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. When an L.A.-based tattoo artist was forced to shut down her studio in March, 
Her business was put on hold indefinitely. But through her efforts to express herself with art, she discovered a new source of income. Tonight, Pony Wave, in her own words. Since all this started, I have to change my business. I went to Venice Beach and uh, I did this street art with two faces, girl and boy kissing with the masks and flowers. This picture went viral and I got an idea to create the face mask the same as on the picture so people can wear it and feel like they are part of this art. Of course, it helps me uh, to pay my bills, not all of them, but at least to get something, it's a good bonus. If you have your own favorite artists and you want to support them, please do this because they're doing this not uh, to make like more money on this uh, scary situation. No, they're just trying to take care of their families and uh, to keep uh, their business alive. The best chance to change something is when you have no choice. <laughs> like you have no choice, you have no job. It's time to create the, something new. That was tattoo artist Pony Wave in her own words. On day 152 of this crisis, here are some headlines on the virus. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says New York City is on track to start reopening on June 8th. Disney World and SeaWorld have both gotten the green light to reopen in Orlando. SeaWorld on June 10th, Disney World July 11th. California's governor says the state plans on having 10,000 contact tracers by July 1st. And while New York City is closer to reopening, Alabama started its reopening on May 1st. Since then, COVID-19 case numbers have been climbing, hitting a new daily high earlier this week. Hospital ICUs are becoming scarce in some of the state's biggest cities, including the state capital, Montgomery, where Stephen Reed is the mayor. Mayor Reed, thank you for joining us tonight. G give us an update on what the cases are like and, and the hospitalizations in your city. Well, unfortunately, cases are still going up at this moment and our ICU beds are still running low. So um, we, we've improved marginally, but not enough to get us out of this crisis moment. And essentially, you know, this is a place where we can manage it, but we can't sustain the trend that we're on right now. Do you think that Alabama was too quick to reopen? I do. I think we tried to accelerate uh, the process. And I think, you know, uh, from our standpoint, that has had a negative impact on our progress. And I think that's why we've regressed some and we've seen a 300 percent increase uh, in cases month over month after going the first three weeks of this month at a 40 percent clip. And when you think about that and the impact that it has on businesses, where 40 percent of hourly employees uh, have decrease their number of hours in working in small businesses, it has a tremendous economic impact and it's one that has a ripple effect throughout this community. As far as managing the health crisis, Mayor, you did have more time than, say, New York did to prepare. Had you been doing that and is that helping you right now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we were very proactive uh, when we first started hearing about the coronavirus. Uh, we took this very seriously. Uh, we went out and we made all the preparations that we could in working with our healthcare partners in this community. So we are in a place where uh, we can deal with some of the challenges that we have right now. 
but we can't sustain it. We, we see ourselves uh, approaching a cliff and we just want to make sure the public is aware uh, in this community uh, what's at stake here and what we have to do in order to get back on the right track. And that means putting on our masks when we go out in public, staying home as often as we can and following the CDC guidelines. Are folks in Montgomery doing that? I think by and large they are. We have a, we've had a great collective response in this community over the last few months. We put together a small business recovery fund, uh, re recovered together MGM.com for our small businesses. We put together community impact task forces uh, between our public and private partnerships and nonprofits. So we're working together to overcome this. Unfortunately, I think when we reopened the economy, many people celebrated prematurely and thought we had won the battle when the fact is that we're still in the middle of it and we have more work to do. So, Mr. Mayor, is there anything you can do to roll back the reopening or, or at least enforce the social distancing measures more to stop the trend? We're looking at uh, mandating masks in, in the community, uh, in this city, because we've been encouraging that and we have not wanted to, uh, you know, start another ordinance or really implement that. But we're at a point right now where I think we have to do that uh, for the safety of our public. And we're in communication with our governor's office as well about maybe looking at doing a shelter in place regionally and trying to assess this damage that we have from a regional perspective as opposed to a statewide perspective so that parts of the uh, state that are doing well as it relates to their COVID cases can remain open and continue their progress. But some of us uh, who are hot spots right now can maybe um, slow things down just a little bit in order to get back on our feet. How are the hospitals holding up? How much capacity is there in the ICU right now? There's less than 4% uh, capacity right now in our ICU. Uh, across this entire region. Our medical staffs are exhausted physically and mentally. Uh, we're running into challenges as it relates to PPEs as well. So uh, we're not at a, a, at a point where we can really relax, where we can take a look at things uh, that aren't working here. What we have to do is to stay disciplined in our approach for our healthcare professionals for our first responders and for those who may be asymptomatic, but may be impacting and infecting others uh, because of their behavior. So we're trying to make sure we work with our hospital partners in this community to do the best we can to make the public aware of where we are and what they can do to help us by their own personal actions and taking accountability for what they do and how they move about. Mayor Reed, thank you so much for joining me tonight. We wish you and the city of Montgomery well in the efforts to pleasure. stop the spread. Thank you. Here's what's coming up next on our special report. Next, our weekly discussion with independent business owners from around the nation. As the country slowly reopens, many are looking for glimmers of hope. Three of them join us next with their challenges and their paths forward. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. All 50 states are now open, at least to some degree. That's allowing tens of thousands of American businesses hope. While they're not all back in business yet, they are moving in that direction. Tonight, three business owners on their troubles, their hopes, and their path forward. Now, here's Sarah Eisen. Welcome back. Before we bring in tonight's business owners, I want to introduce my consultant, for this evening, Alicia Soret is the founder and CEO of Pantegrion Capital, which has invested in dozens of independent businesses. Alicia, nice to have you here again tonight. First of all, what have you seen in terms of trends as states have started to reopen across your businesses? Well, Sarah, thank you so much for having me back and nice to see you too. You know, just two weeks ago, we were talking about how businesses were focused on the hit they were taking in revenues, cost cutting, getting the PPP loans. And now I think we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And there really is a focus on how do we pivot, how do we adapt to this new environment? And I will tell you, across my portfolio, I'm seeing a few key trends. First, businesses are thinking about how do we change our marketing message in this new environment? Uh, second, they're thinking about what new products and services do we offer in, in the new environment going forward? And finally, are we thinking about new distribution avenues that would really help us get new business? Whether it, maybe it's direct-to-consumer or e-commerce. You know, at the end of the day, uh, these small businesses, the ones I'm invested in and hopefully the ones that are, that are tuning in now, they are the backbone to our economy. They treat their clients like family. They are so active in their communities that we really are all rooting for them. So hopefully tonight we can generate some ideas and help them on the path forward. Let's do that right now, Alicia. Thank you. Stay with us. Let's bring in our first small business. Anthony Acevedo is the owner of Anthony Acevedo Non-Medical Emergency Transportation in New York which does remain closed. Anthony, thank you for joining us by phone this evening. Talk about what this pandemic has done to your business. Um, most of our business, about approximately 85% of our business, has um, come to a halt. And um, only the most crucial are attending their um, services, which are dialysis patients and patients that have... Dialysis patients and patients that have to have uh, urgent cares, but 85% of our business is gone down the drain, and um, we don't know what the future holds for us. Hey, Anthony, Alicia here. You know, I know that you took a, a huge hit on revenue in your business, and luckily you got the PPP loan, so you can focus on coming out the other side. You know, one thing I learned about your business when I first read the description, non-emergency medical transport, it didn't really dawn on me how um, really essential your business is. You know, you, you explained to me how you're providing transport for chemo patients to visit the doctor or elders to go grocery shopping. So, you know, we really are rooting for you to come out the other side. And I know also in speaking to you, your resilience shown through. I remember you describing yourself as 
an American Joe living the American dream, someone who built his business from you know, a, a zero bank account. So, um, so we're really excited for you. One of the things I want to focus on for you going forward is, is distribution and also marketing. And I have some ideas for you. Would love your, your feedback on. I saw that you had a Facebook presence and maybe a small Instagram presence. Have you thought about creating a basic website? Can we get you to, to get one up and running in this new environment going forward to spread the word? Well, I, ha- I would have, I have to do that, and I have to compensate for a lot of the things before pandemic because um, things have changed. And um, uh, with things changing, you have to compensate and you have to change yourself or else the doors are going to be closed. And if the doors are closed, then yeah. a lot of families are going to well, suffer. One of the other things I think would be helpful – one of the things that I think would be helpful too is I know you put a lot of investment in uh, cleaning of your cars to assure your clients going forward it's a safe environment. You've invested in PPE. Well, it's very yes. Um, uh, right now we're making less money, and we have we have to invest in um, things in uh, disinfectant and gloves and masks and things for our employees so that we're able to. Um, comply with the Department of Health because most of our business is from the state of New York. Anthony, what have you been told as far as when you will be allowed to reopen or at least how do you interpret the guidelines and and are you ready to do so when that is allowed? Well, um, we have, we're we're on the front lines and um, uh, we're, we're still transporting our our small, our most important clients that are our clients that are that have dialysis and that have emergency procedures that are being done. But the other 85 percent of our business is just gone to telehealth. Mm. Do you anticipate that that will come back when when New York reopens more broadly? I just hope that it's in. It's, this is not just about making money. It's about human lives. And I just hope that the best decisions are made and that politicians take the right steps to protect the population. What about your funding? Have you received PPP loans? Have you applied for them? Have you received them? And how much is that helping, if so? Well, Action East has been a very big part of my business and um they have um they gave me a loan uh for my first loan and then they helped me with the SBA PPP pay, payer protection program payroll program they helped mm-hmm. me out with that um and it was very helpful to my business without action east my business would be closed how much of your business, Anthony, is, is taking people to work? Or are you just involved in taking them to doctor's appointments and other health care needs? We take, um, uh, people, we take patients to doctor's appointments. We also take, we drive patients also to um, uh, rehab clinics. We take patients to dentist appointments, chemotherapy. We take patients to um, uh, mammograms all types of medical procedures, operations, catheterizations, 
which all which all fell during the crisis as people were afraid to go. Um, Anthony, we, we wish you luck. We wish you well uh, as you deal with the impact of this. Please keep us posted. Anthony Acevedo. Thank you, Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Next, and we'll be, we'll be getting Alicia Surratt back, back as well. We lost her line there. Up next, a nearly century-old florist whose sales went to zero but is looking to grow again. But before a break, images from around the world on this day 152 of the global pandemic. Welcome back. Next up, we have a 91-year-old family business in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Along with her dad, Jackie Levine is the co-owner of Central Square Florist, which caters to corporate events, weddings, and other celebrations. But of course, those gatherings came to a standstill in March after the pandemic cut off the need for things like flowers. Also with us is Alicia Serrett of Pantagrion Capital, who invests in businesses. Jackie, thank you for joining us tonight. What does business look like since the pandemic began? And is there any signs of reopening and demand coming back? Yeah, so we shut down for six weeks, but we did recently get the green light to be able to reopen um, in some capacity. So right before Mother's Day, we got the uh, green light that we could reopen um, for contactless delivery only. So we were doing that for the last few weeks. And then this week we got the green light um, from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that we could do uh, curbside pickup as well. So business is slowly coming back for sure. So Jackie, Alicia here. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I love the fact that you're from a fourth generation business. That's so awesome. I, I know that when the pandemic hit that you had to close completely. So you went to like zero sales. And I know you also got the PPP, but of course, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process. And now we're heading into this new environment where it's like, are we going to have the same events, the big weddings, the corporate events that we that we did before? You know, we, we don't know. One of the things that I thought was very promising is how you've adapted on the services front. You mentioned the curbside pickup. You've mentioned the contact with the delivery and also um, having a pickup only section on your website. So I think you've been very thoughtful about services. What I would love to do is brainstorm with you a little bit about some of the marketing initiatives where I think that there is a lot of opportunity. Uh, and some of this you may you may have thought of, but um, first off, how can we make Father's Day as big as Mother's Day? You know, how, how can we uh, use flowers to thank dads out there for all the homeschooling that they're doing and the character building during the lockdown? How can we make that big? Yeah, so, you know, as everyone or most people might know, Mother's Day is a, it's a big holiday where people totally give flowers. Um, but Father's Day, maybe not so much. Um, but maybe this year, Father's Day could be bigger, especially if people can't see their dads, can't do the typical things they might do on Father's Day. Um, and just to thank their dads, yeah, for all the things that they have been doing for them during the pandemic. Um, so maybe yeah. using the ways that we're using for Mother's Day, we could totally use that initiative um, for Father's well, Day. One of the, the other the other things I thought about is, 
you know, I know that you have been serving the Harvard and MIT communities for ages, and so you've built relationships there. I know you were even named one of the, the best small businesses, best small business of the year in Cambridge, and you've accumulated a client list, you know, over years and years. I think you said it was 30,000-plus emails. Is there some kind of campaign you could do around reaching out to the alums and asking their support for you, asking them to shop local with you? Is there something you could do there? Oh, totally. I think um, promoting local um, is huge right now and something that we can totally capitalize on. I think people really like local, and we have that whole email list. So definitely. That would be good. And I know for everyday events, that's still a big business for you. Um, right now, so many loved ones have been separated from each other. What about some kind of theme around, you know, because I can't be with you, here are flowers. How do you beef up some of those everyday uh, initiatives? Oh, 100%. Um, flowers definitely connect us to our loved ones. So right now we need that connection more than ever. So I think flowers are the perfect um, gift to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, I love you, but I can't be with you right now. Um, and a floral delivery will to- totally um, be the perfect um, opportunity and for that at this moment. From the best Boston uh, florist uh, to boot, too. And, and here's a, a <laughs> idea for you. What about some kind of campaign around encouraging people to have flowers in the back of their Zoom profile. I feel like everyone's being judgmental about what people have mm-hmm. behind them when they, uh, when they broadcast from home. What about flowers there? Can we make that the norm? Oh, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm already kind of seeing that, you know, customers who are sending flowers and plants like what's, what's behind me um, to themselves because they're working from home. So they want something beautiful to look at on their desk or they want plants to kind of um, – um, freshen the air around them since they're spending so much time in their homes. So definitely um, flowers and plants, big, big, um, big Jack, items right now Jackie, that people need. Jack, it's great. It's a great idea. I think I could use them myself. Jackie, I'm, I'm curious whether you've had any issues with sourcing your flowers that you deliver because of shutdowns across America, where you get the flowers and, and how you've been able to bring them in. Yeah, so we get flowers from all over the United States, but also all over the world. So that has definitely been an issue uh, due to, so there's a lot of, there's plenty of product maybe around at these farms and um, maybe in South America or over in Holland um, or California. But the biggest issue is transportation right now due to the lack of flights. You know, maybe there were, I don't know, a dozen flights out of L.A., maybe maybe more to Boston per day. Now maybe there's just a few in flowers. You know, they fly on in um, passenger cargo and passenger uh, flights. So if there's not enough passenger planes flying, there's not enough space for flowers to fly in cargo. So that's, that's been the biggest challenge is more of the transportation aspect of it. Well, it looks like you're well-stocked behind you. My husband's <laughs> going to give you a call today for our, for our anniversary. Jackie, thank you. It's today. Jackie Levine, we appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Coming up. Why the shutdown for one small business owner has been anything but a walk in the park. We'll explain next. Welcome back. Now to a dog walking and pet sitting service called Let's Walk Chicago. The family owned operation clocked over 20,000 walks in 2019. But in March, business plummeted 90 percent. VP and owner Gina Deanna joins us now from the Windy City. Gina, thanks for joining us tonight. How have you been coping with that kind of loss of business since March? You know, we really 
It's been tough, but we have been, we have noticed how amazing our client base is and how amazing just our staff have been throughout this. So that has really helped us a lot. Um, continue, we've been continuing to do uh, dog walks for people who can, who need us. You know, we've been uh, serving those frontline workers and those essential workers, and we're so honored to be able to continue to service them. Um, you know, but our, our walkers have honestly been truly amazing throughout this, and, and we have retained 100% of them, and that is something that we're most proud of. I think that um, it's really incredible how persistent you've been throughout all of this. I know in addition to the 90% decrease in revenues, um, you and your family also forfeited salaries as owners to make sure mm -hmm. that your employees got paid. So I think that that is really notable. And I also know that your clients stepped forward with Walker Relief uh, in a fund to make sure that your employees got paid. And meanwhile, uh, I'm aware of all the things that you mm -hmm. do with the community, with the animal shelters and, and walking the dogs, the frontline workers. So kudos to you for really stepping up in terms of leadership. You know, I, I also noticed that you have adapted some of your services in the new environment, providing transport for, for some of the dogs to vets and also creating a low-contact walk with gloves and masks and sanitizers. So I think that you've been very thoughtful on the services front. What I want to focus in on with you is the tremendous opportunity you have in front of you with so many people that were staying at home and basically adopted a dog for the first time and emptied out the animal shelters. You have all of these new clients waiting for you on the other side that I'm so, you know, I'm so excited uh, for you with, with this opportunity. And I'm wondering a few thoughts here. Have you thought about some of the products that you might potentially provide? I, I don't know if you've had a robust e-commerce strategy to date, but there's so many opportunities to sell leashes, uh, poop bags, dog treats. What, what are your thoughts on e-commerce opportunities? Yeah, that is definitely something that we've considered um, and something that we think might help us going forward. I mean, as you know, this is this industry is all about our clients having to go into an office. And I know after this, it, it may be different. Um, a lot of people's jobs may be working from home most of the time. So, you know, I think that adding products would be a great opportunity to continue um, with the revenue. Well, on that related front, have you thought about some of the opportunities you have on the content front too? You have all of these new dog owners that are coming in and really need to be educated. And there are so many things that you can teach them, whether it's how to groom their pets, potty training for the first time, how to deal with separation anxiety if they're going back to the workplace. Have you thought about putting out videos or other content to really solidify that relationship with them? Yeah, continuing education is super important and we do want to continue, you know, to teach them uh, a lot about the separation anxiety. With everything going on, the dogs are going through a complete different transition period where they've been with their owners more than they've ever have in their entire life. So, you know, them going back to work is going to be super different for them. And that's something that we definitely want to help both our clients, prospective clients, as well as the dogs um, go through. So that's definitely something that we plan on doing. And one other thought on the supplemental income front, you know, one, one of the things I'm seeing across portfolio companies and broadly in the market is um, the creation of new revenue offerings. Let's say there's a package of walks that you could sell people so you get a little bit of the upfront income, but then also 
have that relationship established so that they're walking with you over time. What can you do in terms of creating new packages or new revenue offerings for a lot of these um, new dog owners? You know, I know that there are a lot of companies um, that are that type of subscription-based where they pay ahead of time for a specific amount of walks. Um, we That really hasn't been an interest of ours, uh, but we do treat our clients like that. They are they do sign up with us and they are a part of our family from there on out. So whenever they need us, we're there for them. Um, I don't know if that's something that we would do going forward just as a subscription because that it's it's something that does make us stand out from other companies that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And Gina, you, it's Sarah. You started by saying that, that you've got a great customer base. What are you hearing right now from your customers as far as whether they're planning to go back to work and to use your services again or even doing so staying at home? Yeah, so we are actually just hearing um, now uh, from a few people that uh, they're starting to go back to work. um, And we, you know, are letting them know that we're still here. We've always been here and and we're still pushing through. Um, uh, Chicago is actually starting to open up a little bit more on June 3rd. So things are going to be a little different going forward. Gina, Deanna. Good luck with the reopening and, and making it through this rough patch. Yeah. We appreciate you joining thank us from, Let, from Let's Walk Chicago tonight. Thank you. And thank you to all of our guests and, of course, to Alicia Serrett of Pantegrion Capital. For more resources, you can always go to cnbc.com slash smallbusiness. That's cnbc.com slash smallbusiness. On day 152 of the crisis, here are the latest headlines for you. President Trump says the U.S. is cutting ties with the World Health Organization over the agency's response to the outbreak. Consumer spending fell by a record amount in April, and the S&P 500 rose more than 4% in the month of May. That's going to do it for us tonight. For all of us here at CNBC, I'm Sarah Eisen. Stay tuned. American Greed is coming up next. Have a good evening and a good weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.